How you doing today? Hey, it's good to see you. Boy, you look so good today. I was standing down front during worship looking around. I thought, man, doesn't everybody look good today? I don't know if it's you or if it's my eyes or what it is, but you look. Turn to somebody, even if they're at a distance, and say, you look good today. You look good. Husbands, I'm, I'm trying to help you out here, okay? If you've got a Bible this morning, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 24. Today's message is going to be a little bit different than what I normally do. I want to talk today about three tales and three tells. I'm going to talk about three stories that Jesus told. And there's a lot of verses. I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to read just the first story. The second two, I'm going to tell you about the story. But we're going to look at these three stories, these three tales that Jesus told. And then we're going to look at what those stories tell us. Because each one makes a very clear point to us. And each of these stories really is a message in itself, but I want to plug them all together today because they're all in context, and you'll see where I'm going as we get into this today. Uh, before we dive into God's Word, let me just say quickly, if this is your first time at the bridge, we're so glad that you're here today. Uh, we know there are a lot of great churches in the valley, and if you've chosen to worship with us today, we're just honored you're here. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions, check out our website, or we've got a church app, or you can go to our Connection Center, our Info Center, just out that first set of doors to the right. They can answer any questions that you might have. So welcome today. Really glad you're here. Now let's get into God's Word. You know, in, in my ministry lifetime, and really I could say my lifetime, but I want to say my ministry lifetime because it's something that I've been very aware of. But in my ministry lifetime, there have been a lot of theories, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate, even arguments in the church world about the end times. And those questions, opinions, ideas, interpretations, debates, sometimes arguments are still ongoing in the church world about exactly What's going to happen in the last days and when it's going to happen? In Matthew 24, the disciples came to Jesus and they were pointing out the beauty of the temple. And they said, isn't this magnificent? And Jesus said, yeah, it's magnificent, but not one stone will be left on another. It's going to be totally demolished and torn down. Of course, they were horrified because for the Jewish people, that was the holy place, the temple of God. And they were so proud of what had been built there. But when they got along with Jesus, they asked him, they said, now wait a minute, Jesus, you, you said that temple's going to be torn down. When's that going to happen? When's that going to happen? And, and then they went a little bit further and they asked two more questions. The first question was, what will be the sign of your coming? When you return, what are the signs? When's it going to happen? And then the other question was, what will be the sign of the end of the age or the end of the world, as some translations read. You see, what they were saying was, wow, you said the temple's going to be destroyed. Well, if, if that's the case, then that must be near the end. And if that happens, then when is everything going to wind up? When are we going to see the kingdom of God come into complete fruition in the earth? That's what they're asking. And we're still asking those questions today. They were asking for mile markers. They were asking for dates. And they were asking for signs so that they could know what was going on. But I want you to notice the answer that Jesus gives. We're going to read in Matthew 24. I'm going to start reading in verse 36. And 
I wish I had time today to just dive into all of 24 and 25, but I don't have the time, so I'm going to pick some spots. Take the time later to read Matthew 24 and 25, all of it for yourself. But Matthew 24, verse 36, here's what Jesus says. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, he said you can know signs, you can know seasons, there are certain things you can know, but the day and the hour, the exact time, you don't know. Verse 37, Jesus says, but as it was in the days of Noah, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now let me make a couple of comments here. Jesus says only the Father knows the day and the hour when everything happens. That's something he holds as a mystery in his own keeping. Evidently, it wasn't important for us, or for some reason, it wasn't important for him to reveal exact dates to us. But Jesus said, let me give you comparison. Remember the days of Noah? I mean, people were just going on with life, with life. It's just everyday life, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Nothing changes. They just go on and on and on. Noah's preaching for about 100 years. He's building this huge boat. Nobody's paying any attention to him until they go in the boat, they lock the doors, and then all of a sudden clouds appear, and it starts to rain and rain and rain and rain and rain. And then when the floodwaters start carrying them away, then they realize this is serious stuff. But it's too late then. It's too late then to get in the ark. Jesus was making some statements that I think are really important for us to realize. As it was in the days of Noah, so will be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. A lot of people will just be going through life, not paying any attention, and it'll catch them by surprise. But then in verse 42, here's what Jesus says. Watch. Watch. It literally means stay awake. Be vigilant. Know what's going on around you. Therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Be awake because you don't know when I'm going to return. And then verse 44, he says, therefore, you also be ready, which means to be adjusted and to be prepared. For The son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, I'm going to move really fast today. Because there's three tales that I want to show you, and I want you to see this, but I want to introduce it properly. Jesus did not tell them what they wanted to know. Jesus told them what they needed to know. You know, sometimes we want to know stuff, and God says, you don't need to know that. That's something I hold in my own power. You don't need. Have you ever asked God questions, and you never seemed to get the answer you wanted? See, he doesn't always tell you what you want to know, but he always tells you, what you need to know. And you know, in the church world today, some people want to hear me talk about the great tribulation. There are those of you today, oh boy, let's get into the great tribulation. Some people want to hear that. Some people want to talk about the rapture of the church. Is it here or is it here or is it here or is it somewhere? Or some people want to hear me talk about, well, none of that matters, but this is what matters, this ah thing down here. Some people want to hear about all this over and over and over again. But the truth of the matter is, some people want to hear all about it. 
And then some people just want to ignore it and don't want to hear any of it. You know, we got these people over here. Remember the story in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascends back to heaven? And the disciples are going like this. And all of a sudden, two men in white, or maybe angels, show up and say, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heavens? Jesus gave you instructions. Go take care of what he told you to take care of. So we got a lot of people in the church world today, this is what they're doing. But then we got a lot of people over here ignoring it all, and they don't care about any of it. And we need to find the truth and the balance here in the middle. What did Jesus say was important for us to know about these last days? You know, today I'm not going to tell some of you what you, want to know, what you want to hear, but I am going to tell you what you need to hear. Everybody smile at me. You say, who do you think you are? I think I'm middle-aged and old enough to talk to that way to most of you. Some of you not quite, but most of you. We do not know the day or the hour when Jesus will return, but he's coming at a time when most people won't expect him. Think about that. Think about that. Even in the church world, he's coming at a time when a lot of people are going to be caught by surprise. But Jesus said, don't be caught by surprise. This is what we're going to talk about today. So we need to watch. We need to be awake. We need to be prepared. We need to live adjusted lives. We need to make some adjustments in our lifestyles now that are preparing for Jesus to return. Well, this is good old-fashioned preaching. Can I get two amens in the house today? All right, I got instead that's good so today let's look at three stories three tales and see what each tale tells us Matthew 24 I'm going to read the first one go down to verse 45 here's the first story that Jesus tells he asks it in a form of a question who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made rule over his household to give them food in due season blessed is that servant notice the words Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So doing what? Overseeing the, God, the things that God's put under his care. Verse 47, Assuredly I say to you, he will make him ruler over all of his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of. He will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, I've told some of this before. I grew up in a very old-fashioned legalistic church. And... I think the goal of the pastor was to terrify us to the point where we would get saved every service. And when I was young, it worked until I got to be a teenager. And then I figured out that there was a rebellious streak in me that I had to work through. But you know, when you read this story that we just read, when Jesus is talking about servants, there's something that I, I want you to see here. It, it's a bit of an overview of what Jesus said we need to know about the coming of the Lord. Well, we want to know all these things, but what did he tell us? Well, let's look at what he told us in this tale. First, he said there are two type of, types of people or two types of servants. One's called faithful and wise. One's called evil. 
The characteristics of a faithful and wise servant are really clear. He respects his master. He respects his master. In our case, we respect the Lord. He's faithful to the responsibilities that his master has given him. He honors his master with his life and his lifestyle. He lives in such a way that his master will come back, give an account and say, man, you did good. I'm proud of you. And then the last thing, he lives ready to be held accountable for his lifestyle. Those are things that we need to take into consideration today. Am I honoring God? Am I living my life in a way that pleases Him? Am I living in such a way that if I have to give an account today, I'm ready to give account? Am I living that way? But then, by contrast, he also talked about an evil servant. And I want to look at the characteristics of an evil servant. He disrespects his master, and he says, eh, he isn't serious. He isn't serious about any of this stuff. He doesn't really care. It doesn't really matter. You know how many people there are in the church world today who aren't serious about God? None of you. They come to second service, of course. <laughs> if you're watching online, I'm not talking about you either, okay? So just stay with me. There are a lot of people in the church world who aren't serious about the master. They're not serious about what God has put in our hands. He disrespects his master. He says, ah, he's not serious. This isn't serious stuff. He ignores his responsibility and he says, ah, he's not returning soon. There are a lot of people in the church world, and like I said, they'll be at second service. And by the way, I'll tell second service that they all came to first service, just so you know, okay? There are a lot of people in the church world, ah, he's not coming soon. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do for now. He lives a selfish life. It's all about me and what I want. He abuses and misuses people around him. His lifestyle gets out of control. He begins to live the party life with the drunks. I know there's none of those in this room for sure, this first service, because th those people are still sleeping in with the hangovers, okay? That's, that's how I know about that. <laughs> and then finally, he has no regard for his day of accounting. He lives saying, eh, I'm not worried about giving an account. I'm not coming for a long time. He's not serious anyway. None of this stuff really matters. But what does this story tell us? When you go ahead and read the ending, it's pretty clear that at the end of the story, there is a day of accounting. And those who are good servants, faithful servants, are rewarded. Those who are not are punished. Literally, it's what Scripture says. Here's what we learned from this. Here's the tale in this lesson. It tells us we will give an accounting to God for the lives that we live. Starting with me. We will, each one of us, give an accounting for the lives that we live. And God expects me to live well, and live well and manage my life well. Now, why do we struggle with this? Why do we struggle with living well and managing our lives well? Why is that? See, I think for many of us, we would say, you know what, I'm doing my best, I'm doing my best. Great. But can I tell you, a couple of things that keep us from living well and managing our lives well. Have you ever met somebody that their life's out of control and they're just the tail being or they're just the dog being wagged by the tail? You ever seen those kind of people? It's usually two things that play into the picture. One is 
They ignore a Sabbath rest where they get rest for their bodies and they realign their priorities correctly. You know why God's house is so important when we meet on, together on Sunday mornings? It's because it gives us a time to recharge our spiritual batteries, to rest a little bit, to take a day, to reflect, to look forward and set our priorities and say, this is what's important in life. And I know I'm not preaching on this topic today, but you know, one of the Ten Commandments is still, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Use it for what God intended to rest, to worship, to renew your perspective, to get your batteries charged so you can head into the next week and live well, living a balanced life. And then the second part of this is, I already led into it, because we don't get perspective and rest, we lose balance in life. And the most important things in life oftentimes become the least important things. We're going to give an accounting to God for our lives. We need to learn to live well and have balance in our lives. And you know, my lifestyle should align with my profession of faith. What I say I believe should be lived out every single day. If I'm saying one thing and I'm living something different, I'm missing the point. God wants us to live balanced lives. He wants us to live well. You know, there, there are people in our world who believe in God. And occasionally they even think about God. But then there are people who live their lives for God. That's two different things. I want to live my life for God. People ask me sometimes, what's your goal in life? Just, if there's just one thing, what's your goal? My goal is to someday stand before God and hear him say, well done. That's my goal. It's simple. I don't have 75 goals. It's one goal. Everything else falls in line behind that. Somebody asked me not long ago, do you have a bucket list? Things you want to do for your die, before you die. I said, no, I don't have a bucket list. I have a trash bucket list of things I want to quit doing before I die. <laughs> and I'm working on that one now. Okay? So let, let, let me come back to this before we go to the next story. What does my lifestyle say about God? Ask yourself. What does my lifestyle say about God? What does my lifestyle say about my faith in God? Because faith is what I live daily. It's not just what I say. And am I ready, am I ready right now to give an account to God for my life? Am I ready? The second story, and like I said, we're not going to take time to read the second and third stories because there's a lot of verses here. Many of you know these. Go home and read them for yourself. These next two stories are found beginning in Matthew 25 at verse 1. The first story is the tale of the ten virgins, is what it says in Scripture. And, and let me set this story up for you, because I'm going to explain it real fast. It's, the setting for this story is a Jewish wedding. And I don't know all the details of how they did it in Bible days. We do have some records, and it's been passed down through the generations. But in, in a nutshell, in essence, the, the bride and her bridesmaids, the wedding party, the, the female side of this, they would go to a place and they would wait for the groom and his party to come and meet them. And the groom would come at a general time, but it wasn't a specific time. Doesn't that drive you crazy? What time does church start? Eh, whenever we all get there. 
This one, we start at 9.30. Start at 9.30, start at 11.30. This wedding, sometimes, you know, in, in the tradition, they would last for several days. They would go on and on and on. But nobody knew exactly when it was going to start because the groom would come and he would surprise the bride. And when the groom came, the bridesmaids had to go out and meet him and usher him in to be with the bride. But what happened in this story was there were 10 bridesmaids. And they came with these lamps because they knew if the bridegroom, if the groom comes at night, we got to go out and meet him and fire up our lamps and put light on the pathway and lead that party, escort them to the wedding. That's our responsibility. It starts right there. So these 10 bridesmaids, virgins, Scripture calls them, these 10 all had lamps. But when the bride was preparing, nighttime came and it got late. Went to sleep. Everybody settled down for the night. But at the midnight hour, when nobody was expecting him, all of a sudden somebody screamed, The groom is coming! And these bridesmaids all jumped up and they grabbed their lamps. But the problem was, five of them did not have oil for their lamps. But five did. So in this parable, we have five foolish virgins, five wise virgins so they went out to meet the bridegroom and these five said give us some of your oil and the other said no 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 this is our oil we're taking care of our responsibilities you go get your own oil so while they went to get oil the groom came they shut the door for the wedding and when those bridesmaids came back they would not let them in and the groom said i don't know you if you weren't prepared for this event i don't know you now, what do we learn from this? All 10 of these bridesmaids had lamps. They all had vessels. Five were prepared with oil. They were wise. But five had not prepared oil for their lamps. And they were foolish. In other words, half of the wedding party was not ready for the return or the arrival of the groom they just weren't ready they weren't properly prepared they looked as if they were prepared to welcome the groom but they were not prepared they didn't have oil and as a result they were not allowed to attend the wedding well that that's the tale but what does it tell us it tells us that we need to live expecting the coming of the lord I need to live my life in such a way that I'm ready. If Jesus returns today, I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, but I believe you better be ready. Oh, but I believe it's here, it's here, it's here, it's somewhere out there. Jesus said you need to be ready. You need to be ready. And then for just a moment, let's, let's talk about the significance of this. Jesus said, I mean, I mean, the Jewish people that day, they understood the story. We don't understand it because of our, our traditions. But, but let's look at the significance of oil. Throughout Scripture, oil really speaks of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament through the New Testament. 
Oftentimes, the oil refers to the Spirit of God. And what it's really saying is, do you have the Spirit of God in you? Are you living aware of the presence of the Spirit of God in you? Do you have oil in your lamp? Or, or did you get some oil way back then, but it's been so long that you're not sure if there's any oil in the lamp anymore? Now, I know that really plays with people's theology. This is what Jesus taught us. And we need to be aware. Can, can I just say something right here? I know there are going to be some people who get frustrated with what I'm about to say, but I've got to say this. You know, sometimes you can get so hung up reading everybody's philosophy that you miss the point of what the Word of God says. And man, I am so weary of hearing people argue, well, it's going to be this way, it's going to be this way, it's going to be... You know what? You just need to be ready for it. It's what you need to do. One of the guys last week said, well, Pastor Gary, what do we believe about the end times? If somebody asked me, what do we believe? What do you, what do you tell them? You tell them you're going when Pastor Gary goes. That's what, that's all you need to tell them. Because I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. We need to be ready. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul said, we are vessels. Our lives, our bodies, we are vessels. And we have this amazing presence of God, this oil in these earthen vessels. That God's presence lives in us. And I'm going to tell you something. Every day of my life, I want to make sure there's oil in my lamp. I don't want to live a day without God's presence. I don't want to go to church on Sundays and since God and live the rest of the week and try to get through. I don't want to go twice a month. I don't want to go once a month. I want to live every day of my life in God's word, talking to God about what's going on in my life, making sure the spirit of God, the oil of his spirit is working for me and in me and through me because that's God's will for my life. We need to be aware of that. And please... Man, you're doing like those old timers trying to scare us. I'm not trying to scare you. You make your own choice. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We need to make room for God and we need to make time for God. We need to know God and let him be God in our lives. God is not someone you visit now and then. God is someone you live your life with, you walk with every single day of your life. So the question is, if, if Jesus returned today, would I be ready to meet him? Am I aware? Am I acquainted with him and his presence? And then Jesus told the last story. And it's found in the last part of, or the middle part of Matthew 25. He told the story about servants and talents. And I'm going to walk through this story quickly as well. But what it basically says is, that there was this landowner, he was a master. He had a lot of people working for him and working under him. And he decided he was going to go away for a while. Didn't, didn't know how long, didn't tell him how long he would be gone and when he would be back. But he said, I'm going to go away, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave everything I've got in the hands of my servants. So he called him in. And here's the illustration Jesus gives us. He called in one guy and said, I'm giving you five talents. Called in another guy said, I'm giving you two talents. Called in another guy and said, I'm giving you one talent. Scripture says he gave them talents according to their abilities to manage. Now, I'm not going to argue about that because some of us say, well, God just didn't give me many talents. He didn't ask you to manage many talents. He asked you to manage what he put in your life. You don't have to manage my talents. Some of you want to, but please let me manage mine. You manage yours, okay? 
And I won't manage yours if you don't try to manage mine. That's the point of the story to begin with. But then the master goes away. And here's what it says. This guy that had five talents went and used it and worked with it and invested it and bought and sold. And when the master returned, he came before the master and said, you gave me five, I now have ten. The master said, wow, that's great. Second guy comes in. Hey, you, you gave me two, I worked with it, now I have four, I doubled it. The master said, great. But then comes this other guy and he said, you know what, you only gave me one. And I know what a tough dude you are. I know how, boy, you just take advantage of every little angle and you work this and you work that and you expect people to give you something that doesn't belong to you. And I was so afraid of you, I just went and dug a hole and buried the talent. But now that you're back, I went and dug it up and here's your talent back. And the master said, you are wicked and lazy. Depart from me. Depart from me. These others will enter into my joy. I will give them more to be responsible over. But you, depart from me. I don't want anything to do you because, with you because I don't know you. Now, let me just walk through some thoughts here real quick. There were good servants and faithful servants. The master said, you're good and you're faithful. What did they do? They valued and cared for their master's wealth and their master's concerns. Am I doing that? Am I doing that? They put their master's wealth to its intended use. And they use their master's wealth to create more, to create a profit. I don't think I can stress enough how valuable each one of us are to God. You know, I've taught this for 12 years here. But when God creates us, God puts something of himself in us. Did you know that? We're created in the likeness and image of God. I didn't say we're God. But God puts something of himself in us. He puts abilities. Let me rephrase it. God puts some of his own wealth in us, in my body, in my mindset. He gives me gifts. Some of us have five, some of us have two, some of us have one. Some of us can do anything, some of us can only do one thing. But whatever it is that God has put of himself in us, he expects us to use it for its intended purposes. This is good. See, that's how valuable you are to God. When God looks at you, he sees something of himself in you. Well, how, could, how could God put Jesus on a cross for sinners? It's because he saw something of himself in us and he wanted to redeem what he saw of himself that was in us. He wanted to have a family of people that looked something like him, who would honor him and respect him for who he was and what he was, who would apply their lives to his eternal purposes. That's why he put Jesus on a cross, because we are valuable to him. And some of us miss the fact that God has put some of his wealth in our lives and he wants us to use it for his intended purposes. Did you know you have stuff in you that God has put there that can help change other people's lives? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Don't argue with me. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But 
then there's also this wicked, lazy servant. He had no regard for his master or the wealth that the master had invested in him. Didn't care about the gifts. Didn't care. He didn't see it as wealth. Didn't care. And he was careless. He was careless with what his master had entrusted to him. Jesus gives us a warning. You are special to God. He's put great, valuable stuff in you. And you need to use it for the things with which he intended them to be used. So what does this tell us? That's the tale, but what's the tale? What does it tell us? It tells me that we will answer to God for what we do with the gifts, the wealth that God puts in our lives. I say wealth, everybody thinks money and things. No, your gifts. Your gifts first. What are you doing with what God's placed in your life? Because one of these days, we're going to be held accountable for what God's given us and what we've done with it. Isn't it interesting when, when that guy with the one talent dug his little thing up out of the dirt and brought it in and said, well, I know what a hard, tough guy you were, and I was afraid of you because you do this and you do that, and I was afraid. You know what he said to him? He said, you're wicked and you're lazy. Isn't it interesting that this guy with one talent made excuses to God himself? He made excuses for what he himself had done to dishonor God. I'm almost finished, but let me, let me go one step deeper here. If you go back and study this out, the word talent is often interpreted as a sum of money. It's wages. Some scholars say that a talent was about three months' wages. If that's the case, he came to his servants, and to one he gave three months' salary in advance. To another, he gave six months. To another, he gave... 15 months, a good sum of money, and said, use it properly. The question is, what are the gifts God has put in your life? But let, let, let's, go back to the, let's go back to the money issue. Let's go back to the income issue. Doesn't God own everything? Psalms 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Just because God didn't write his name on the mountains and the sunset doesn't mean it's his. When he wants to repossess it and take over it, he will. It's his. But isn't it funny how we ask God to give us stuff, and as soon as he gives us stuff, it's my stuff? Read scripture. We are simply stewards of the things that God has blessed us with what he's poured into our lives, the abilities to earn and to make monies and to move forward. We need to be honoring God first with what he's put in our lives. And I, you know, I've said this before, this is not original. You've heard this from a lot of pastors and ministers. You show me your checkbook, and your bank statement, or you show me your calendar, and I'll show you what's important to you. Show me where you spend your time and your money, and I'll tell you who your God is. Didn't want to hear that one. 
Again, you've got to remember, you remember, this is being recorded for online. So I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those people out there who will hear this later, okay? But they need to hear, they really, they really need to hear this. Those of you online, I'm really doing this for second service, okay? What am I doing with God's money? What am I doing with God's time? What am I doing with all the wealth that God has entrusted to me? Everything I have belongs to God. It came from Him as a blessing. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And someday I'll stand before God and give an account for what I did with the gifts He gave me. You know, Scripture teaches, and I'm almost finished, so you can take a deep breath. Scripture teaches that you and I are the body of Christ on the earth. And God has a role to play for each one of us. He has things for each of us to do. Those gifts he gave us, they're things he wants us to do with those gifts to make a difference in our world. My heart's been so thrilled the last couple of days. You know, our, our Bridge Women Connect groups have been going so well and so strong. So many good reports, things that are happening where people in the church are ministering to people and I'm so thrilled with what I'm hearing this week for example we had a lady who had no faith in our God who'd been coming to one of the connect groups who this week came from a whole different religious background committed her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and you know what's cool about that the cool part is I wasn't there nobody was there to play the keyboard I wasn't there to give the altar call these women told her about Jesus and led her to the Lord. As a matter of fact, if I'd been there with the keyboard, we might have messed it all up. <laughs> Not, no reflection on you, of course. The point is, that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to use us. He wants us to use our gifts. And, you, and when we stand before God, you know who gets the credit for that? Not Pastor Gary, not Pastor Ann, not the Bridge Church. It's the women who love that woman and led her to Jesus. They're the ones who get the reward for that. And then yesterday we had Bridge Men meeting. And when we got ready to leave, this, this gentleman walks up to me and says, Hey, uh, just keep me in prayer because I'm getting ready to go out and reach out to a friend who's really in a difficult, really desperate situation. Pray for me that God will use me to help him and minister to him. Man, my heart just leaped. What if all of us live life this way? Looking for opportunities, looking for places to get involved in a church structure where we can use the wealth that God has given us to touch other people's lives. That's what God's trying to do. And finally, in closing, you know, in each of these three tales, there's a joyful, rewarding, eternal ending for some. And there, there's a sad, painful ending for others. I'm not going to try to scare anybody, but I'm not going to sugarcoat this either. We will give an account to God, and we need to live ready to give that account with every aspect of our lives. The three things we taught, we will give an accounting to God for the lives we live. We need to live expecting the coming of the Lord. And we will answer to God for what we do with the gifts, the wealth he's given to us.
want to ask you to do something with it. Bow your heads for just a moment. I'm going to ask you, just let, just let the Spirit of God speak to you. So I'm not trying to turn your world upside down, but I want to give the Spirit of God an opportunity to just make some adjustments in your heart and in your mind. Maybe you can make some adjustments in your lives that need to be made. Let's just take a moment and listen to the voice of God for a moment. Father, speak to us, every, each and every one of us right now at the same time. By your spirit, speak to us. Speak to me. Show me how to live an adjusted life. A life that's adjusted for your purposes. Show me the things inside of me that need to move, need to change for you to use me the way you want to use me. Show me what you've put in my hands that maybe I could use better for your purposes. God, let your spirit speak to us today. And Father, in that loving way, let your spirit just gently lead us and show, show us and point us in the right direction and then give us faith to walk it out and follow you. In Jesus' name I ask it. While heads are still bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. You know, maybe you're here today and you've listened to this and you thought, man, I don't know God. I've never really wanted to get involved in religion and you know, I didn't want any of that stuff, but I've listened to this today and this makes sense to me. And I, I, I really do have a heart to know God and, and I, I want to live a life that pleases God. Maybe you've never committed yourself to him, but you're realizing today this is right, this is true. Friend, I'm, I promise you, we do not want to give you religion, but we do want to help you start and build a relationship with God. And the way the whole thing starts is we invite him into our lives. Maybe right now you just sent something inside saying this is right, this is real, this is true. That's the spirit of God knocking on the door of your heart, but he needs you to say, yes, please come into my life. He's extending grace but he needs you with faith to open the door to him. It starts with words. It starts with a prayer, with an invitation. So I'm going to lead everybody in this room, everybody watching online. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me. You don't need to scream it, but pray it right out loud. It'll help those around you. Let's all pray this prayer and just wrap your heart around this right now. Let your faith be wrapped around these words. Let's pray this prayer. Say, God, I need you. I open my life to you. Please come in. Forgive me. Put me in right standing with you. I want to know you. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I will learn your ways. I will follow you. So from this moment forward, you are my Father. And I'm your child. I accept your grace. And I will follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, it's the most important prayer you can ever pray in your entire life. But it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of a relationship with God. The past is behind you. It's a brand new day for you. But we've got a little tool we'd love to give you because it'll help you start building a relationship with God. We don't need anything from you. We want to give it to you free of charge, no strings attached. It's a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading for each of the next seven days. 
to help you understand more about God's plan for your life. We want to give it to you. When service is over, we'll have prayer teams on each side of the building down front here. Walk up to one of these teams and just say, can I get the booklet? If you've got questions, they can answer your questions. If you want prayer for something else, they'll pray with you because they're there to, to pray for any need. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. If you're in a really big rush, just before you exit the building, the glass doors in the lobby, there's a counter set up right in the middle there with the sign overhead, a screen that says the next seven days. You can stop there and get the very same booklet. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. If you're watching online, you'll find instructions on your screen. Follow those instructions. It'll help you find the same materials. We'll get it to you through an electronic file. Hey, we love you today. Can we just welcome God's new family members into the family today? God bless you. Awesome. What a great morning. Can we give Pastor Gary a hand for that great message this morning? So good. Well, this is the time in our service when we worship God with our giving. And, you know, we just always want to remind you that when we give here at the bridge, our giving truly is making a difference in people's lives locally and globally. And today I just want to share with you one of those ways, something that we've been able to be part of just in the last couple of weeks. You know, if you watch the news at all, you would be aware of the extreme devastation in India right now due to COVID. And one of our missions partners has just really had it in their heart that in the midst of devastation, we need to let those precious people there know that God has not forgotten about them. He has not abandoned them. And so they put together 400 medical kits with much needed uh, medical treatment for them. And those 400 kits were distributed through the local church there in a very rural part of India where medical treatment could not have been found otherwise. And not only did these people find medical treatment that they needed, but because they were distributed through local church, they found the hope and love of Jesus. And through our mission support, we all have been able to be part of that. And so we just want to say thank you so much for your faithful giving. Your giving is making a difference, not just here, but across the globe, you are touching people's lives. Thank you so much for your giving here at the bridge. And on the screens, you'll see the different ways in which you can give. And if you want to give in person today, you can find offering envelopes on the chair backs and we have giving stations on the outside walls of the auditorium exit doors, as well as just before the entrance of the bridge kids, uh, hallway there out in the lobby. All right. Thank you so much for being in church today. It's great being in church with you. And hey, before you go, we just want to remind you today is the day to get registered for baptisms, for child dedication, or registered for kids camp before the price increases tomorrow. All right. We love you. Have an amazing week.